0: to our show and thank, also thanking those who might be listening via the internet at www.710.com 710 com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Radio RadioPup application on their Apple and Android devices. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about a new novel, Ike and Kay, from its author, James McManus, that is now available at local bookstores and via Amazon. So listen to this, keep listening to this show to learn some interesting information from the author of this book, Ike and Kay. Today is Saturday, June the 23rd, and we are broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keele, a town square media station located in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept call-in questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the June issue, The Best of Times, at one of our 522 distribution locations throughout the area. Also, you can view and download copies from our website website at thebestoftimesnews.com, as well as downloading copies of our Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, you can listen to previously broadcast shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour from our website or from iTunes Podcasts. I want to thank the many, many people who are listening to our radio show, uh, previously broadcast radio show, via our um, uh, application on Apple iTunes. I want to also mention that next Saturday, June the 30th, I'll be broadcasting live from the Barnes & Noble's uh, book location here in Shreveport, Louisiana, located on Urie Drive. And I will be discussing with the author, Gregory Finch. He's an author and lecturer. And he's going to discuss his new book, which is quite interesting book. And I think you'll definitely enjoy reading it. But we're going to discuss it in nth degree detail about how he came up with this idea. The book is Does a Frog, remember its tail. So that's an interesting, going to be an interesting deal. So make plans. It's next Saturday, June the thirtieth, at Barnes and Noble in Shreveport, beginning at nine a.m. again, uh, Central Time, broadcasting. So listen to it on the on the radio, on the internet, or you can come live and listen to us broadcast from the Barnes and Noble Barnes and Noble store in the Shreveport and Bossier City area. We also want you to make plans to attend the upcoming Senior... Expo that we'll be having, Senior Disability and Rehabilitation Expo, that will take place on Wednesday, July the 25th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., located at the Louisiana State Exhibit Museum, located at 3015 Greenwood Road in Shreveport. Again, this will be a the first annual, and only, really, there has never been a disability and the Rehab Expo in our area, but we will host one beginning on Wednesday, July the 25th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., the Louisiana State Exhibit Museum. el video! This particular expo is designed to empower people with disabilities of all ages with needed information, resources, and technology to enhance their lives. There are going to be a wide array, a variety of businesses, agencies, and organizations that will provide information to you about the general health, rehabilitation, and disability products and services. Of course, it's free and open to the public, free parking, free educational presentations throughout the day, numerous door prizes, and many, many gifts. Ways. Door Prize winners and Poker Rally winners must be present to win. Again, this particular Disability and Rehabilitation Expo is proudly sponsored by our friends at Snails Orthotics and Prosthetics and is hosted, of course, by the Best of Times magazine and radio show. But at this particular Senior Disability and Rehab Expo, we will feature a TBT Poker Rally contest like we have done several years in the past. This will benefit the Food Bank of Northwest Louisiana. Thank mm-hmm. you to participate in this rally, just bring five canned goods or non-perishable food items to the expo and you will receive a poker hand, you will receive a poker card and five of these particular cards the top uh, ten winners will win some fabulous door prizes uh, but must be present to win at the 2pm 2 2 announcement of the winners of the top highest poker hands. Again, for more information, pick up the issue of The Best of Times in our July issue, but also do call us at 636-5510 remember to thank our advertisers and sponsors of the best of times radio hour as well as our the advertisers in our monthly magazine the best of times remember to visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com for announcements made during today's radio show as well as information about upcoming events activities and news that you can use we'll be right back with more information but now I work word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible you listen listening to the best of times radio hour here on News Radio seven ten Keel, proudly presented by A Bears Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer.
1: Gary got more of the best of times coming for you on seven ten Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Kaligas.
0: Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour proudly presented by A Bears, sending country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep Dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas and I thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show is Mr. James McManus, internationally known author, historian, and he's on our show to discuss his new novel that was released on June the 5th, uh, titled Ike and Kay. It's a sweeping love story at the heart of World War II regarding General Dwight D. Eisenhower and Kate Summersby, uh, which having their infamous and star-crossed affair. Thank you, James, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. It's a real pleasure to join you, and thank you for asking me. So, uh, your latest novel, I'm going to tell all our listeners out there, I have finished reading it, and I found it quite remarkable, and I think it's a a good book, both for men and women. Um, Yes, it involves an interesting love story, but uh, it brings about uh, uh, some interesting aspects that i that your dialogue and your thoughts making these characters come come to life they were they were real but you're you're getting their having their dialogue even though i knew the ending based upon historical facts and i still still thought it was a quite enjoyable and great read and i do recommend that to many of my all of my uh, radio listeners out there so give us a little bit of, you, you mentioned in your acknowledgement that you have never written a book which required more help and advice from others. So why is, why is the, 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 the new novel, Ike and Kay, this intricate?
2: Well, firstly, I had to do a, a huge amount of research, obviously, because although this is a historical novel and I've written such books before, I try and take great care to ground the narrative, the basic spine of the story, on what actually happened. Now with General Eisenhower and Kay Summersby, um, it was very important to me to get that right, because of course there's a lot of controversy about what really happened between these two people. Um, There's no question they had a very close relationship throughout the war. They were together for Eisenhower three and a half years uh, in Europe almost every day no in fact every day and um eisenhower only left the european theater once to visit Mamie back in washington his wife so uh, the fact that they were that close to that tumultuous period in history meant to me that i had to really understand and get right what actually happened
0: and i think
2: i will say modestly that i've done that in the book the, the basic history is there
0: well, I, I definitely agree with that. So you, 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 you uh, reference various other, many of the books about this particular affair and this particular story?
2: Absolutely. I mean, uh, Eisenhower, of course, has had many, many uh, biographers, very big uh, books that have been written about both his wartime uh, leadership and his subsequent political career. Now, most of those biographers until recently dismissed the idea of a romantic relationship between Eisenhower and Kay Summersby as a fantasy. And uh, it was her fantasy they claimed and she basically made the story up in the book she wrote as she was dying called Past Forgetting. But that uh, uh, cover-up, which essentially is what it was, <laughs> has been proved to be false. And a recent biographer of, of, of Eisenhower, a very distinguished historian, American historian called Jean Edward Smith, has come to the conclusion and provided evidence for the conclusion that not only did the affair take place but that and this is really controversial but true in may 1945 eisenhower wrote to general george marshall the american chief of staff asking to get a divorce now that letter has been highly controversial whether it existed or it didn't exist has been a matter of to and fro but now looking at the facts that have come uh, to light recently it's quite clear that Eisenhower did write that letter
0: and also you referenced in, in your notes and I can I don't it wasn't referenced in the, in the story itself that controversy was also f- uh, shown to be Truman right uh uh Uh, had supposedly had the letter destroyed in the Pentagon file?
2: Uh, That's right. President Truman, um, in the last year of his life, in 1971, gave an interview, a taped interview, to a historian and journalist called Merle Miller, in which he said that he knew about the letter to George Marshall. It had been left in Pentagon files, and... Uh, this is at the time when he was the outgoing president. And he had it destroyed because he didn't want to tarnish the office of, of, of the presidency. And um, the point is Truman and Eisenhower did not like each other. It wasn't a question of political parties. Obviously Truman was a Democrat and Eisenhower was a Republican. They just did not get on. But even so, Truman went to considerable lengths to shield Eisenhower from the controversy that would have arisen
0: had that letter become public property. Wow. Uh, I, I noticed, it, interestingly enough, this, you, the, the promos about your book uh, mentions a box of chocolates started all of this. Explain to our listeners a little bit about that. I, that's another one but with, starts with, with, with a uh, gift of a box of chocolates. That's absolutely right. Um,
2: let's just get the story, I mean, go back to how this all began. On May the 8th, 1942, Eisenhower, then a two-star general, completely unknown to the British public, and indeed, British to the American public, arrived in Britain, in London, to uh, for a 10-day tour of duty, to assess the prospects for a cross-channel invasion. And he was sent there under the, uh, the orders of both the President and George Marshall. He was given a driver, that driver was K. Summersby. London, of course, was, was blacked out at night at the time because of the bombing, and all the street signs in London had been taken down because of fears of an invasion.
0: Yeah, I thought that so was that was an interesting note. They took down all the street signs. You mean to tell yes, me they like could that. see the street signs that clearly from airplanes or whatever that flew Yeah, no, no, because.
2: It was in case of a a land
0: invasion. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, a land invasion. I was wondering, okay, they were anticipating that. I mean,
2: there was great fears in 1940 and very legitimate fears that the Germans were going to invade. And so they took down all the street signs of the major cities, particularly London. And they never put them back up when it was clear that the Germans were not going to invade. So, (laughs) there's Eisenhower, been driven around blacked out London by this young 34-year-old driver, well, young-ish. Um... Uh, in a, a large Packard car and they were together for 10 days of that brief trip uh, beginning every morning about 8 o'clock in the morning way in, as late at night as Eisenhower and colleagues visited dignitaries, military people, bases and all the rest of it and one should remember that at the time America was in the war and American forces were pouring into Britain uh, a huge buildup of armor, of uh, air forces, and so on and so forth. And Eisenhower had to grapple with all this and try and work out uh, how to kind of fashion a cross-channel invasion force. After eight or nine days, he returned to America. Kane drove him to the airport. At this stage, he had come to depend upon him because not just that she knew where to take him, but she was a lively, very intelligent, and a good looking woman, let's face the fact. So, at the end, as he was going up the airport, the aircraft steps, he turned around, went back, gave her a box of chocolate. Right. Which, of course, in London in 1942, was absolutely unseen and unheard of luxury. And that was a measure of his uh, appreciation of what she'd done for him.
0: And and to find that even that box of chocolate, I know the general's got got priority, but wh- you know where do you get it if it's already even available in the area? He must he must have utilized a lot of um, a lot of tact and uh, concern. Find me a box of chocolates. <laughs> I can see, but no, the, I, the, I, the order was I, issued, I, I, <laughs> right?
2: The, no, the, the American forces uh, and certainly its senior uh, uh, American commanders in Britain at the time. Supplied with wonderful um, uh, suppliers from America, they were the envy of the poor British, the starving British population, <laughs> and so, that's how we first got to, to, to know about chewing gum.
0: Oh, okay. That, so the chewing gum started. Started also. They were
2: every little uh, boy in London, and a few of them that were left there would go up to any American they would see, and say would any gum chum. Oh. I mean, that was the thing the Americans were famous for
0: and and also but but again the the chocolates I think was uh, I see that emphasizing in there that, that's, that they had their relationship, but this even said he really appreciated what, what she had done for him, right exactly and uh it, it, but it goes on from there but i will tell my listeners that we don't want to give away the whole story he he goes into great in nth in, in degree detail and dialogue between eisenhower and 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 k here uh in his book which i thought was fascinating you're you just like wonder what they would be saying to each other right is that what james is that what you come up with you you had the plot here you had the premise but you you've got to you've got to you know they're not living they weren't interviewed so you had to come up with this dialogue going going back and forth and There wasn't a lot of dialogue, but there was dialogue, right?
2: Absolutely. But um, I was hugely helped in this by Kay Somersby's, Somersby's two books. She wrote one book just after the war called Eisenhower Was My Boss, which was a straightforward account of her work with him and without any kind of controversial allusions to the relationship. And then in 1974, just before she died, she produced Past Forgetting, which was it's a book that has historians say now has the real stamp of truth about it and in that book she produced many of the actual conversations she'd had with eisenhower and the very loving conversations that they exchanged the intimacies and so on and so forth as the relationship developed and it did develop very very quickly um i will go into that in a minute if i can but the dialogue certainly comes out of a lot of her own book as well, so to my imagination
0: but but it but it is striking, and it, uh, I think it started being very, very official at first between them right i mean she was she was designated well, as, as to being his driver, uh, but it was very pretty much formal. Initially, correct. That's what I, I, I uh, get the not gist. Not really, no, because Americans were noted for the informality of their kind of behaviour. They weren't stiff upper lip people like the, uh, <laughs> the
2: British commanders. I mean, Eisenhower took Kay and with another American uh, general uh, to, to dinner at a big London hotel on his very first visit. He just said, "She's my driver. She's doing a great job. She can join us for dinner." That was absolutely unheard uh- of. <laughs> in terms of military protocol in Britain, but that's what he did.
0: So he he definitely he went uh, deviated from the path from the uh, the norms in the area, right? And it probably yeah, so turned he, a lot of heads. I's not always. described not always describe himself as a poor a poor farm boy from
2: uh, from Abilene in, in Texas. and that's the way he liked to kind of project himself.
0: And so when he came into the British royalty and the British protocol, he it, it, it said, why do I have to follow this, right? I'm sure he's thinking, Absolutely. Of, thinking to himself. So, uh, but I, but don't you feel I, you have it so many times in this book that she also, even though they had this love affair, she she consoled him and and provided him with that scape that he it wasn't all strictly military. And I, I think he she was a, I hate to say this, it's called scapegoat, but she was there to to console him. And, and this he had so many decisions that made that dealt with you know thousands and thousands of lives of, of the GIs.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we can um, overestimate what Kay Summersby meant to Eisenhower during those war years. He was under huge pressure, taking monumental decisions such as the date of of D-Day. He was working 18 hour days, smoking nonstop. He was a chain smoker, 60 cigarettes a day. He liked his whiskies in the evening and the pressure was absolutely intense. And what she did for him, was far more than just drive him around and be helpful and, and offer him advice. She would make his drinks in the evening. She would give him a back massage when he was all knotted up and tense. She would be there for him to talk to in a way that he couldn't talk to anybody else. And thus she became uh, an essential sort of support for him. And it's often been said that without Kay Summersby, Eisenhower would not have been the effective war commander that he was, that he know he was.
0: And I think that's a fair judgment. Oh, yeah, a very fair judgment. Uh, I thought another touching part of the book, we're not gonna give everything away, was uh, uh, the, the dog and the dog's name, loved by both of them, right? Well, exactly. And, and this
2: is, again, it's an, an indicator of the real deep affection, and let's put it that way, that Eisenhower felt for this woman. Um, she bought him a little black Scotch terrier. Um, Again, to try and help him relax, he adored the creature. In fact, it it followed him everywhere, even to North Africa. And when he gave it the name Telek, nobody, T-E-L-E-K, could understand why. Now, at the time, Eisenhower was staying out of London in a small cottage in Richmond Park, which is about eight miles from the center. Once again, Eisenhower did not want the formality of living in a big hotel suite or a grand house in central London. So in this small cottage called Telegraph Cottage, he found peace and quiet. And he'd go there at night and come back in the morning to London. And Telegraph Cottage meant a huge amount to him. And when Winston Churchill said to Eisenhower, Why did you call the dog Teleg? He said, Because it is the two things that mean a great deal to me are in that name Telegraph Cottage and K, the K Summersby. And Churchill understand, understood that immediately. So, it
0: was a sort of secret code name, if you like. Right, but I, but I thought initially when you described the novel that uh, uh, the general uh, didn't at first like the dog, but the dog became uh, got to him, right? At first, she, he, he didn't want well, I think the dog. When he
2: first saw the little puppy, yeah. you know, wandering around and uh, misbehaving himself on the carpet, he did feel it was, <laughs> it was not going to be Take
0: this well dog out of here. Uh, I'm, sure exactly. he pointed, I'm sure he pointed to one of his aides. How'd this dog get exactly. past security? And she probably exactly. smiled at him, the dog looked at him well. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're to my sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Gill, proudly presented by ABER sending country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer.
1: Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Kiel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Kaligas.
0: Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, tending country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest, is author James McManus, an internationally known author and historian. He's discussing his new novel, Ike and Kay. It's it's regarding uh, the sweeping love story at the heart of World War II between General Dwight D. Eisenhower and Kay Summersby. Thank you, James, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. It's a pleasure, Gary. So we, we started off to give up a few aspects of, um, of this novel. We want to give everything away. I encourage all our listeners to pick up this novel. It's been available, at, uh, of course, on Amazon, at various local bookstores, or you can go to various websites to pick it up. Um, it is on sale, and it is a fascinating read. I will highly, I've i read it. I highly recommend it to all my listeners out there. Uh, if you like history, uh, if you like what world war ii history if you like a, an interesting love story that uh that many people I, I would say a lot of the young people james do not know about this do would you agree to that
2: i would yes although i think it's interesting that um world war ii drama particularly uh, in in the shape of film is very very popular certainly here in the uk um across generations and the film Dunkirk had an amazing success. Right, it did. Warner Brothers. Um, any film with Churchill in it seems to do very well. <laughs> Again, across generations. That is. So there's an appetite for this sort of history, uh, and 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 I hope that this this book fulfills some of that appetite because it does fill in a lot of gaps about what happened in the
0: wall well here i'm gonna give you a plug i hope that your this book and your other book which i found fascinating i hope everyone more we're going to talk about it if we got a little time later midnight in berlin was excellent and both of those i could see being a remarkable movie on the big screen so i hope um any of those movie producers and uh script writers are, are listening today so hopefully you'll, you'll you'll get that uh on the big screen soon right I have I have said too, yeah, so going back going back to this, I, I thought that uh, you, you mentioned it, but I think you need to emphasize it to my American friends here that Ike was definitely a different sort of general, especially American general living in the the, the, the Brit, Great Britain in Britain at that time, but also in dealing with all the other uh, British Officers and generals that he's been dealing with, he, he had a different uh, I'm sure he had a frustrating feeling about some of the some of the decisions that he had to make and had to come up with these particular other uh, uh, generals that he had to deal with, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean it's part of Eisenhower's genius, and I do regard him as a genius as a wartime commander, that he dealt with huge egos in the shape of Churchill, General Montgomery, George Patton, and later on, of course, General De Gaulle, and he managed to do so with great uh, skill, keeping them all pretty much on side. Montgomery was regarded by him and fellow American generals as a complete and utter pain, and he was. <laughs> and and he did not do what he was tasked to do after D-Day. And he was the author of the disastrous uh, Arnhem operation. And Eisenhower kept his temper and kept his patience all through that period. So I think that's a great mark of, uh, a mark of his genius, and he did it very, very well.
0: Well, Gordon, that's a side step. Why was uh, Montgomery so adamant about not following the plan?
2: Montgomery had won a great battle for the British um, uh, in, in, in North Africa against Rommel, Right. And that made him a sort of a British hero, if you like. So he always felt that although Eisenhower was the commander-in-chief of the Allied forces, he felt, Montgomery felt he had a sort of a, a right to be, to make his own decisions. And after D-Day, Montgomery was given the task of taking the very heavily defended German town of Caen, in France, the A E N, pronounced and he failed to do so, thus exposing the left wing of the uh, invasion force to German counterattacks. And it took him weeks and weeks and weeks to drove Eisenhower mad. Uh, he wouldn't commit his forces properly. He was afraid of losing men. He just wasn't. It was a terrible period of actually, actually, in the Allied uh, campaign.
0: But as but as you said, Eisenhower took him with a grain of salt but, but tried not to criticize him uh, Montgomery criticized Eisenhower but Eisenhower, I, I, what I read in your book seemed like he didn't directly criticize him used some tactful comments to him but
2: well that's right, yeah Eisenhower rode with the punches he was, a, he was a, 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 an extremely good diplomatic commander uh, Eisenhower, quite apart from being a, a superb tactician in my view
0: And uh, so, but again, the interesting uh, dealing with these particular all generals and, um, uh, but again... Kay was at his side, and at some of the. I, I was amazed in your book, you, you, you describe in detail about some of their important meetings where they tried some of the generals and other aides, and I'm sure other security people of their forces on both the British all the sides, tried to get Kay to be escorted out, but he insisted that she stay there, right? Uh, it was amazing, uh, and it, it amazed the British, but Eisenhower insisted
2: that Kay be at his side, even in some quite top secret meetings. And in the North African campaign, when he had Kay shipped out there, quite against all regulations, when there were lavish dinners prepared for visitors like President Roosevelt or Winston Churchill, Kay was seated at the table next, in fact, to President Roosevelt, next to Winston Churchill, and both those great wartime leaders understood very quickly that she was extremely important to Eisenhower. And they didn't raise a single finger or an eyebrow about about what they regarded as a wartime affair. And it was a wartime affair. And if there were any doubts about Eisenhower, the intensity of Eisenhower's feelings, came, they were dissolved when he engineered American citizenship for her. Right. He gave her a rank in the US Army once she'd achieved citizenship. And this was an extraordinary thing to do for a woman who was technically his driver.
0: Yeah, I, I think our listeners might want to You might wanna emphasize that again. It took a lot of courage for the general, but also using a lot of protocol to get, uh, even all the way up to the president, to get her be- to become after an American it. citizen. And then becoming part of the you know, U.S. Army. And then he positioned her in a location, right, in, in California at first? If I recall. No, that was after the war.
2: After the war. Um, I, I mean... What happened, and I don't think this is giving anything away in the book, Eisenhower, as I said, had become so attached to Kay. She was so important to him. And one should remember that she was there at his side for sort of 18 hours of the day. And their relationship did become physical. There's no two ways about uh, her descriptions of this in in her own book. Um, Although I don't think, and she admitted that the affair was not fully... Uh, how can I put this, consummated. It was physical, but not actually fully consummated because Eisenhower was quite simply just a shattered man at night. He was tired, he liked his whiskey, and he had this exhausting burden of trying to um, keep all the generals in line and prosecute the war. But at the end of the war, he, without question in my mind, in the mind of business to he wanted to marry case number right. And George Marshall, the American chief of staff, told him in a cable which for which we have evidence, that he would destroy Eisenhower if that happened. He would um, bundle him out of the army, and Eisenhower would never be welcome in America again. And that then changed Eisenhower's mind, and he changed literally, he turned on a, on, a, on a sixpence as we would say. Um, ambition, Trump, love. And that's
0: that, yep. that's the source, good, I think, good point there. Point of the story. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's sad you 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 see her feelings, and he keep prom- makes a lot of promises that he doesn't keep, and you'll see that you'll see that in the in the book as well that you you elaborate uh, extensively. But, but what I was concerned, I think you you mentioned it in some of your um, uh, announcements about this book. Why did General Eisenhower not do very little to conceal his affair? I mean, he had, the, he had the know-how, he had the staff, he probably had the expertise around him to conceal it. But he d- didn't, well, didn't like he it didn't seem like he was... Well, an extremely good question. So it's an extremely
2: good question. I'm, um, to some extent, I think it answers itself, because here we have a wartime commander, uh, surrounded at all times by his aides, senior military figures, um, both American and British the fact that Kay was at his side, quite legitimately as a driver and a, a secretary, meant that she was there anyway, and she would have been, it was accepted that she had to be with him. So he didn't have to conceal that much. What he did have to conceal was their affection, the little hand-holding, the notes they passed between each other, and so on and so forth. But these became very evident um, to, well, people like Churchill, Roosevelt, and senior commanders, both British and American. So you're right, he didn't actually go to huge lengths to consider it, but he didn't have time. This was a man under huge pressure, moving from one decision, one meeting, one location to another, throughout long burdensome days. So. I think the idea, he just needed this woman, and that's really what it comes down to. And he would let nobody tell him that he didn't need her. There was no one dead to say to him, please get another driver. (laughs) And don't forget that in all this, we must remember Mamie Mamie Eisenhower sitting back in Washington. And hearing all the rumors, seeing the photographs in Life magazine and other magazines of Eisenhower with his attractive driver at his side. And she wrote, dozens scores of letters to him um, on this very subject. Where those letters now? They were destroyed after the war by members of the Eisenhower family because of course they made the case, her, her anxiety, for the fact that it was an affair which has always been sort of denied by, by Eisenhower's biographers and by indeed his own family.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that I'm sure there was correspondence going back and forth, and uh, I do, do recall that uh, the the other aspects of that she probably knew about it, but uh, she didn't know what, didn't know what to. Sometimes he's he's the decision maker. She's probably pleading with him in so many words or less. Uh, that that uh, this needs to stop. The other interesting, you might want to mention that in, in one of the photographs with Eisenhower and Kay, that was, I didn't know they had, they could Photoshop things back then. They took her out of one of the photographs? They did. And this is a sort of an
2: index of, of well, and, uh, when the Germans signed the surrender, this is 1945, May 1945, two senior German generals came to Eisenhower's headquarters in northern France and signed a surrender document with pens and then left. And Eisenhower then had a group photograph taken holding up those two pens with his senior generals and K Summersby standing right behind him, very visible, smiling over his right hand shoulder. When the Pentagon later that year released that photograph, she'd gone. Now um, A number of Eisenhower's biographers there's two books at least published both those photographs to show how she had been airbrushed out of history and that was very much what happened to Kay Summersby. officially speaking the Pentagon and the political establishment didn't want to recognize what had happened during the war one can understand why Eisenhower was on route for a political career and it would have been
0: very embarrassing so that's what happened. So they, I was going to tell listeners it's, it's a matter of painting them out that's what you call it is that what it's not electronically back then they, they had to print and they had to do some sort of um, what was the airbrushing airbrushing the individual I don't know
2: the technical details guy okay, but I mean the fact is you can see the two photographs one she's there and the other she's not so wow. how they did it, I, don't
0: know. I didn't know they had that capability back then <laughs> to, to, to oh, make those kind of changes high tech well that was something I, I learned uh, uh, in, in two, two parts of that particular photograph. Whatever happened to Kate? You might want to give our listeners uh, the rest of the story after this. What happened?
2: Yes. Well, uh, Kay did not sit down and, and weep over the loss of the man that she loved. She picked herself up. She had American citizenship. Uh, she went to New York taking this wonderful little dog with her. And of course, um, she wrote a book which became a bestseller. Eisenhower was my boss. In the immediate aftermath of the war, any book about Eisenhower became a bestseller. He was the national hero. Uh, She then um, uh, set herself up in New York. She was quite a celebrity in her own right. Um, And she did see Eisenhower one last time when Eisenhower was president of Columbia University. She deliberately crossed his path as he was walking to work and tried to get him to agree to come and have some tea with her. He wouldn't, as he normally did in such situations. He turned bright red and walked on. That left her alone in New York, but she married a New York stockbroker. Again, the marriage didn't last very long because his has been never stopped loving uh, uh, Ike. The man she Ike, Ike that her. And I think that was clear from the last books that she wrote. Um, and, and she died of cancer in 1975. Um, a sad end, if you like, but she was a brave lady.
0: Well, that, that's... Uh, again, those little love stories that you'd ever know uh, you might want to mention one other thing that I thought was fascinating that uh... uh there were other generals and other officials, and, and both are, and all the armies, and I'm sure, even the German side, that had their mistresses and lovers, even though they had their wives at home or girlfriends at home or others, right? And this, and I this
2: think that's a long military tradition, if I might say so. <laughs> um, not just
0: an American one. Uh, you know, it, it's sad, but a lot of people said, oh, golly, how could he do that? Nobody, no other general did that. I so, wait a second. I think I remember rumor of Patton even having one. Patton? So,
2: um, um, um not Bradley, I don't think Patton certainly did he had what he called his red cross nurse with him all the time oh okay um. Um, so yes, that, I mean
0: that was not really very surprising. I don't think. Uh, but yeah, this is a fascinating, fac- fascinating book. We'll be right back with more information. But now, we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible, you're listening to the Best of Times Radio. Hour we're here on News Radio 710 Kiel, proudly presented by A Bear's sending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer.
1: Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Caligas.
0: Welcome back to our show, The Best of Times Radio Hour. Proudly presented by A-Bear's Ten Country F Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Caligas. I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show is James McManus, internationally known author and historian. He's been discussing his new book, Ike and Kay, which is a sweeping love story at the heart of World War II regarding General Dwight D. Eisenhower and Kate Summersby, And we've been discussing this book. I highly recommend you pick up a copy. It's available at bookstores throughout the nation. And uh, you can go on to um, Amazon.com and to various other sources. Again, thank you, James, for joining us today to, to discuss this book. Any closing suggestions or comments about this book or rest of the story about this book? Well,
2: yes, I'd like to make one point, which is this. that. I in no way blame Eisenhower for the fact that he had this relationship during the war. It was a very intense relationship. He didn't want to uh, leave Kay at the end of it. But when he came out of the European theater, when the war was over, then he, you know, he came back to the real world, if you like, back to Mamie, back to Washington, back to uh, the realities of the political career that were looming. And I think one has to say that it was understandable then that the call of duty, if you like, uh, over overcame that of love. And so it, it, I mean, he did behave badly towards her. Jean Edward Smith, the historian, says that the letter he wrote her which broke their relationship, was cold-blooded and ruthless. George Patton remarked that he would have said a warmer goodbye to his horse. Well, that's true, but I'm afraid to say that that was the price, if you like, uh, that Eisenhower extracted for taking on a political career, going back to his marriage, and Kay Summersby paid that price.
0: But she understood it, I think. And I I can't recall her best girlfriend told her that's going to probably happen, right? Didn't she say that at the beginning of the book? I can't remember the lady's name. Yeah, she was born. She she she, was born. You're quite right. She She was born several times. But it's a it's a fascinating book. Again, I highly recommend. But before I get you off uh, off the. Off the station, I want to talk about two other fabulous books which I've read. Both of these, everyone, and they're remarkable. Uh, They have again a historical aspect, but also a a, a novelist, and and, and you you won't want to put it down. I I finished, by the way, James, both these books in one evening. So I read them. (laughs) I spent up hours finishing. uh, Tell them a little bit about Midnight in Berlin. Well, thank you, thank
2: you for the compliment. Midnight in Berlin is, again, set uh, uh, very much on the historical record. Uh, The British military attache in Berlin in 1938 arrived. He was a real-life figure, General Mason McFarlane. He realized very quickly that Hitler was not uh, going to uh, indulge in any kind of peace maneuvers. Hitler was bent on war, that appeasement policies were a complete failure. And basically, he proposed to assassinate Hitler from his second-floor apartment, at a time when Hitler was on the reviewing stand, 400 metres away, uh, reviewing uh, the troops on his birthday in in, in April 1945. That's right, 19, uh, 1939. And the British government looked at this proposal, it just wasn't cricket, it wasn't the way the British did things. So that they turned <laughs> him down and him. And, you know, 55 million people, or whatever it was, died as a result of that sort Right. A gentlemanly British attitude because, anyway, it's a, a the real point of about that story is the Gestapo, who were a highly efficient, uh, brutal uh, organization, realized that this man was irrationally hostile to the regime and set about trying to implicate him using a, a woman in the brothel that they ran in a Berlin suburb. And the story, therefore, is a love story. Uh, uh, and and it's a story which has, to some extent, a happy ending, I'm
0: glad to say. It does. Oh, it's fascinating. I, I'm telling you, I, I I couldn't put the book down to find out what the end of the story was. So it, another fascinating. <laughs> and the other one is, is which, I, 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 I'm glad I read your book before I listen, before I... I uh, uh, I've, uh, I've been seeing various movies S- Sleep in Peace Tonight Tell them a little bit about that we got a couple of minutes here
2: Well I think you have a great Forgotten American hero In Harry Hopkins Who was one All of Roosevelt's right. Key confidants Advisors advisor, Lived in the White House and it was Harry Hopkins who came to London at the height of the blitz in January 1941 sent by Roosevelt on a special mission one to see whether Britain could survive and two to arrange what became the Lend-Lease project and went under which Britain received absolutely vital wartime supplies including large quantities of spam which we'd never seen before and hopkins's role in creating that relationship between america and britain during the war i think has been forgotten by historians and again this is a love story and it's perfectly true that churchill wanted to know what hopkins was sending back to washington what he was reporting back to roosevelt and so once again there was a driver involved and and there was a relationship but the key thing really is the relationship between churchill and hopkins that was Uh, a real kind of uh, diplomatic political love affair, if you like. And Hopkins was a genius in, in doing that.
0: He was, and and again, that that saved. I think it saved, helped influence the the, 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 the tide in America was not to help, but he he emphasized it back to the to the president. The really was, was
2: yes. absolutely rampant, and it's one of the many marks of the genius of President Roosevelt that he stood against it and turned the tide, as
0: you say. Well, thank you, James, for joining us today. You were very informative. Uh, looking forward to talking to you in the near future about an upcoming book that you may be may be writing. So. Thank you again for appearing here on the Best of Times Radio Hour.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed our, our, our discussion.
0: Have a great day. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're with our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio so possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears, Sunday and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer.
1: Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you
0: on 710 Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour here on News Radio 710 Keel. Thank you for listening to our show today. I hope you'll join us next Saturday for another show that can benefit you or your loved ones. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Kilius wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. <laughs>
1: You've been listening to The Best of Times on 710 Kiel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for The Best of Times. This is News Radio 710 Keel, K-E-E-L. Shreveport, Mosier.